Well, welcome, Summit family. My name is Curtis. I am the creative pastor here. I get the honor and privilege of preaching to you this morning. Uh, my oldest daughter woke up this morning. She said, Daddy, I want juice, Teddy Grahams, and worship. And so I hope your morning has been as good as hers. Um, I, we have been in this series for a few weeks now called Bear Fruit. This is week number three, so third time's a charm. Week number one, Pastor Rodell preached on bearing the fruit of repentance, which honestly, I'm still recovering from a little bit. And week number two, last week, Pastor Will preached on uh, the fruit of evangelism, which I think some of my non-believing friends are still recovering from a little bit. And this week, I get the opportunity to preach on bearing the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, I always love delivering God's Word to you. And so when I found out I was getting to preach, I was all excited and I got home, and it was the first thing I told my wife. She was like, oh, that's awesome. And she was like, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on the fruit of the Spirit. And she was kind of startled, and she goes, huh, they picked you to preach on that? I was like, oh, thanks, real encouraging, babe. And so um, the next day I go into work, and I tell J.D., you know, I'm like, hey, Liz kind of was kind of startled. And he kind of smirked, and he goes, man, you know, honestly, I was supposed to be back this week, and I was going to preach on that. He said, and I told Veronica, and she busted out laughing and said, there's no way I'm letting you preach on that. And so you are stuck with me this morning. Um, I'm totally playing none of that happened. But I am praying that God would work through my weaknesses today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out, turn them to Galatians, the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5. As you're turning there, um, I hope you heard Pastor Will's message last week. It's fantastic. After I heard it, I was able to go home and spend the weekend um, with my wife and my two beautiful daughters for Father's Day. Um, so uh, I've got a picture of them just to show you in case you don't like me. You have to say all at this. And so um, on the left there, that's Nora. That's my, our one-year-old. There's my gorgeous wife, Elizabeth, there in the middle. And then that's AV, AVI. AV, that's our two-and-a-half-year-old. Um, just such a joy. Um, I wish I could tell you, any of you parents know, this is not real life, though, all the time. So this next one, this is probably more to real life. So it's probably more true to what happens. On the left, there's Nora. Uh, probably just pooped herself or something. Who knows? And then on the right, let me tell you what's going on here. You see my wife. She's kind of in this cute, like, what in the world is going on position, hand on the hip. Um, we all know kids are liars. Like, we know they're sinners by nature, right? But this was the first time, and somehow I caught it on camera, somehow, um, my daughter, if you see behind her back, she's got like the little eyelash curl things. Um, I don't know if that's what they're called. I shouldn't. And my wife, said, Elizabeth said, Avi, do you have the eyelash things? And she puts it behind her back and she goes, no, ma'am, I do not. And we were like, liar. <laughs> what is wrong with you kids? And so when it comes to the fruit of the spirit, if you think you possess peace or patience or self-control, I almost guarantee you don't have kids yet. And so uh, you're, it's coming for you. Um, a lot of times, a lot of times at night, once they finally go down, um, once they finally go down, my wife and I, just to wind down and reconnect a little bit, we'll, we do this probably about five, six nights a week. We sit down and we open our Bibles and put on like candles and some instrumental hymns and we kind of recite the Apostles' Creed. I'm totally playing. We like plop on the couch and watch TV. Are you kidding me? Like, come on. <laughs> Pastors are people too. Come on. Um, <laughs> One of the things we, we love, um, we'll get in these phases where we love these reality transformation shows. You know what I'm talking about? These shows like Fixer Upper or Secret Millionaire or Extreme Weight Loss or stuff like that. Biggest Loser. Like, we just love them. Um, the high school version of me loved uh, Pimp My Ride. Who remembers Pimp My Ride? Yeah, great show, right? Always got to make a 90s kid reference. And I started thinking because I was like, you know, I hate reality TV shows, but I love reality transformation shows, if that makes sense. And I tell you that because I started thinking, I was like, why do, we, why do we like these shows? And the more I thought about it, I think we like these shows because we like the idea of people taking these raw and broken materials and turning them into something beautiful. 
that we love seeing something or even someone that the world has completely discarded and seeing it transformed into something magnificent. And I think we like that because um, it reflects something that we know to be true about God or that we at least hope to be true about God, and that's that he can take us in our mess and in our sin and in our suffering, and he can make us something into something that's astounding and beautiful. That he can take something or someone that is failing and essentially make them bear fruit. And I mean, we all love this idea, right? Like, even if you're not a Christian and you're here, and I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and I say, hey, don't you want to know how to be more loving or kind or patient? You'd be like, yeah, of course I want those things. Like, we would all love more of those qualities. And so that's why we're spending four weeks talking about bearing fruit, and this week specifically talking about bearing the fruit of the Spirit, because it's the fruit of the Spirit that actually identifies you as a follower of Christ. See, an unfruitful Christian is a contradiction, And so here's some verses that that we'll just walk through really, really, really quickly, one by one. I'm actually going to have you help me fill in the blank here. So speak out loud when it comes to it. So Matthew 7, 16 says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Very good. I hear you, Alamance. Come on. Matthew 21, 43, the kingdom of God will be given to a people producing it. Yep, Chapel Hill's doing so much better than Briar Creek right now. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much. Gosh, third time. It's one word. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much, and so prove to be my... Some of y'all had fruit. Come on. It's simple Bible memorization, people. And so prove to be my disciples. The proof that God has entered into your life is going to be that there is fruit that is outwardly seen. And so let's hop straight to it. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22. Verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, it's very important that we understand that little preposition of that's tucked away in there, because this is not fruit that we produce. This is fruit that the Spirit produces in us. It's fruit of the Spirit. And the other thing that's important to see is that it's not fruits of the Spirit. It's singular. It's fruit. Actually, in a lot of ways, this is not an exhaustive list of all the Christian qualities that you'll display once you become a Christian. No, Paul's saying, hey, these are the types of things you will display. It's fruit of the Spirit. But when it comes to that, there's actually some bad news. It's that you can't do this on your own. You can't produce these things. But the good news is that God can, and I'm here to tell you that he wants to do that in your life. You can't do it, but he can. I'm not big on sermon titles, but that's the title of my sermon today. You can't do it, but he can. The way Paul would say that is not I, but Christ. You can't do it, not I, but he can, but Christ. And so before we start going through all of these in depth, I need to kind of give you some initial instructions and kind of lay some groundwork because here's what will happen. If I just go through these one by one and start defining them, what will end up happening is all you're going to hear from me is, hey, at the root, you and I are just bad and proud and self-sufficient people. But the Bible says that we need to be more loving and more kind and more patient. That's all you're going to hear. And so what you're going to try to do is figure out a way to actually train yourself to actually be more loving and kind and patient and so forth. But you'll end up doing that out of pride, which will then make you feel morally self-sufficient as you go through these lists and you say, oh, I'm really good at that one. Oh, I'm not good at that one. I need to be a lot better at that one. And what you'll end up doing is instantly turn this into legalism, which is the very thing that Paul is bucking against. And so when you're seemingly, when it seems like you're producing these things well, that'll lead you toward pride, which is a sin, and more likely than not, you're not going to do these things well, which leads you toward despair. 
And so it's a lose-lose when you operate like this. And so I never want you to hear from my mouth, do better, live better, be better, because that's never the message of the gospel. The gospel is never try harder and then maybe God will be pleased with you. Just tighten your spiritual belt and maybe he'll accept you. No, 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 no. The gospel is not do, 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 do. The gospel is done. It's look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and his ability to save and sustain and sanctify you and then ultimately produce fruit in and through you in your life. My goal is not for you to leave here with action steps of how to be a better person or how to cultivate change in your life. My goal is for you to leave here with a worshiping heart toward the one who can change your life. Paul's desire in Galatians is not that you'll come to church and learn some new manners. It's that you'll end up being a new creation in Christ, whereby you will plant the roots of your heart and the roots of your faith in the soil of the gospel, in the soil of what has already been done for you in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord, and then the Spirit of God that comes inside you begins to bear fruit naturally in and through you. And so in order to get a full picture of what's going on, I want to jump all the way back to verse 1 in chapter 5. All the way back to verse 1, and as we go through this, um, I'm going to give you some key words along the way to kind of hang on to. So we pick up Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so Paul's in Galatia, and his entire message can be summed up in one word, freedom. That's our first key word. Key word number one is freedom. See, most of us understand that we've been saved from something, whether that's death, sin, hell, brokenness, dissatisfaction, whatever you want to call it. But very few of us understand that we've also been saved to something. Christ freed us for freedom. But then he comes in and he says, hey, even as Christians, we have a tendency to always run back. And what, in his words, he says, submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so think about it like this. Um, I've been married almost nine years. You saw uh, my beautiful wife up there. Uh, we have a great marriage. But what if I told you that my marriage, what if I told you that my wife's approval of me, that her acceptance of me, that her love for me was based solely on the things that I did for her? And so the way this would play out is she would kind of wake up one morning and she'd be like, hey, Kurt, I just don't think you've been loving me enough. So I'm going to need you to tell me how sorry you are multiple times. I'm going to need you to buy me some nice flowers take me to somewhere fancy for dinner tonight, be more kind. And then maybe if you do all those things just right, maybe I'll love you back. Or, hey, Kurt, you just haven't been very patient with me lately. I think you need to rededicate your marriage vows in front of everyone. Post all over Facebook about how much you love me. If you do it well enough, I'll accept you back. Like buying flowers, taking my wife to dinner, those, are, those aren't bad things, of course. Those are great things. But if I'm only doing those things because I'm afraid that I won't be accepted or loved by her unless I do, that's not intimacy with my wife. That's the type of slavery that Paul is talking about here. Instead, when it comes to my marriage, I have planted the roots of my heart and my commitment into this covenant commitment of marriage with her. And the natural fruit of that is a desire to want to do these types of things for her because I love her, not to get her to love me. Fear can never produce fruit. First John tells us perfect love casts out all fear. And it's the same way when you are constantly trying to please God by your works. That is slavery. When you are constantly trying to do enough to be accepted by him, that is slavery. If you are only here to learn how to be a better person because God only loves good people, that is slavery. And some of you know it's slavery. You just haven't known what to call it, but you felt it. You felt trapped by this, I need to live better and do better and be better in order to get God to love me. And I seem to never be able to attain to that. 
And so what you need from me this morning is not instruction on how to please God, not on how to do more things. What you need is intimacy with God who has already sent Jesus and done everything necessary to be in a relationship with him. You've already been approved in him. That's where freedom comes from. Freedom comes in knowing that everything necessary for you to be saved and everything necessary for God to be pleased with you has already been accomplished by Jesus. It's already been done. It is not due. It is done. It is not I. It is Christ. And so that's what Paul is battling against here. A bunch of folks saying, hey, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. So he writes this book, and he's bucking against something he actually refers to back in chapter 1 called another gospel, is what he calls it. And he says the entire purpose of the book of Galatians is to clearly distinguish between the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that everything has already been done for you, and this false gospel that's telling do, 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 this gospel where you're trying to fix yourself. And so let's keep reading. Back in verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Skip all the way down to verse 13. Paul picks up on the exact same line of thought. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Key word number two is flesh. Keyword number one was freedom. Keyword number two is flesh. Now, flesh does nothing but want to please self. Very simply. Instead of saying, not I, but Christ, flesh says, not Christ, but I. It's kind of cheesy. We tell this to the kids around here all the time, but we say, what's the middle letter in the word sin? I. Middle letter in the word sin is I. I for independence. It's about my will. It's not Christ, but it's about me. The problem with the flesh, though, John 6 tells us, is that the Spirit gives life. That's where we want to go. That's where we want to lead, the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. But John 6 goes on to say, the flesh profits nothing. Nothing. Martin Luther used to say, nothing is not a little something. What he's saying there is the flesh doesn't profit a little something. It doesn't even satisfy a little bit. It does nothing for you. And so that's the context we're working with here. Paul is saying, hey, stop trying to prove yourself to God. Stop trying to prove yourself to others. Stop doing, 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 doing. That is slavery. Stop operating in the flesh which profits nothing. No, remember that you are free in Christ. Remember you've already been accepted and loved by God because of Jesus' sacrifice and what has already been done for you. And so it's through that lens that we can now properly go in and understand the fruit of the Spirit. So pick back up in verse 16. Verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. There's our third key word. We had freedom, flesh, now spirit. But I say walk by the spirit. And when you walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You can hear Paul saying, hey, I keep ended up doing the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I do want to do. It's this tug of war going on in your soul inside of you. It's these competing desires. You know what I'm talking about, right? You're here this morning, and maybe when we were singing, it was really hard for you to find yourself even the, the smallest ounce of wanting to lift your hands and praise God. As I'm preaching right now, you are bored to death, but you showed up because you want to want God, but for some reason, you just don't want God. That's your flesh. It's the how can I love Jesus yet still struggle so much with purity or lust or whatever. That's the flesh. It's these competing desires inside of you. And let me tell you, when you operate in the flesh, when you take the root of your faith and try to plant it in the soil of the flesh, the flesh will always lead you toward either legalism or lawlessness. Legalism or lawlessness. See, legalism treats God like he's some kind of cosmic vending machine. 
So you approach the vending machine, God, and it's got this little sign that's really hard to read, and you're trying to distinguish it. And just when you think you got it figured out, you take out your money, you put in the exact right amount, you do things the exact right way, and you push the exact right buttons, and then boom, out pops my blessing, God himself, right? Like I do exactly what it says, and then boom, out pops God. It's do, 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 all in the strength of self. And listen, I cannot overstate this. I cannot overstate this. You can never obtain goodness through your own effort because your own effort comes from the flesh and your flesh cannot please God. You can't do it. It's not I, it is Christ. And then even further from that, there's even more problems with legalism. The other problem with legalism is your bar is just way too low. Like the second you start feeling like, man, I'm, 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 doing, I'm doing good in this area. I'm becoming more patient and more kind. And, man, I'm spending more time with God and I feel like I'm growing in my relationship. Right when that happens, inevitably, you'll meet like a Christian on steroids, right? And so you'll be telling this guy, you're like, hey, man, yeah, God's really working. And all of a sudden he's like, man, praise God. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about when I was having my quiet time at 3.30 this morning, solid hour that I spend with God every day. And then, man, when I was praying for that 45 minutes after and then went into my journal you know, it was just so, and you're like, three, thir- like, is God up that early, bro? What is happening? <laughs> it never, so it doesn't pan out. And then aside from that, like, just aren't legalistic Christians in some way, aren't they just the worst? Like, like you want to know what the opposite of fun is? The opposite of fun is not boring. The opposite of fun is legalistic Christian. <laughs> now, there's some things we absolutely should and can do and should want to do to grow closer to God. But if we're only doing those things in order to get him to love us, that is legalism. And so the world ends up getting this false picture of what it means to be a great Christian because they think it's all about rule-following and joyless duty. So what the people that see that is, they completely go the other direction. They say, I don't want that. That looks terrible. So they go the, the, the route of lawlessness. So instead of trying to please God by the strength of self, lawlessness simply just looks to please itself. That's it, period. Lawlessness says, hey, I'm going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. And I don't know how many of y'all have tried this route like I have, but it does not deliver on its promises. It may look like it's going to satisfy. It may look like there's some allure there, like it can, can please me, but it never, ever delivers. I love the way Paul Tripp says it. He says, the grand illusion of every act of sin is that we can be disloyal to God and everything will work out in the end. That I can go and live my life however I want, completely ignoring God's laws, God's rule, God's love for me, and just believe that everything's going to work out in the end. That's foolishness. Lawlessness always leads to dissatisfaction, destruction, and hear me, ultimately, damnation. Both of these are just forms of a fruitless faith. Because legalism can never produce fruit because it tries to earn salvation by holding to a law it can never fulfill. And lawlessness can never produce fruit because it tries to live by a false freedom that always pulls you right back into slavery and never satisfies. And so when you choose that path, when you choose to plant the roots of your heart and your faith to gratify the desires of the flesh, when you plant it in in, in that kind of soil, you end up producing naturally what the scripture calls works of the flesh. Works of the flesh. We see that in verse 19. Verse 19 says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Now they're evident because in most societies, they're just the norm. Like we're going to go through this and you'll be like, yeah, that's pretty prevalent everywhere we see. And they're prevalent again because they have this allure. They have this satisfaction that they seem like they can deliver on. The works of the flesh are instead of not I, but Christ, it's not Christ, but I. But it ends up producing these things. And so the first three are sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Works of the flesh. First three, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. This is just any distortion or perversion of God's design for sex. 
So if this is you, this is the reason that when you came in this morning, it was really hard for you to hold your hands and worship to God because they were somewhere and put on someone they shouldn't have been on last night. It's creating a barrier between you and the Lord. It's a work of the flesh. The next one, verse 20, is idolatry. A.W. Tozer says that idolatry is worshiping anything other than God. So it's thinking that I can become my own idol. I can do this. I can attain to this. Or it's completely bucking against that and saying, I'm going to go live life however I want. The next one's sorcery. You might be like, man, sorcery, your version might say witchcraft. That, that doesn't exist in the church today, right? Well, no, no, no. The heart of sorcery is attempting to control God. It's cosmic vending machine God. It's about doing things to get God to respond to us and do exactly what we desire in our lives. And then he goes on this giant list of enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. These are all just bitter conflicts that cause discord within the church. Remember what we read back in verse 14? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the exact opposite of loving. It's conflict, it's dissension. And then he ends with kind of two odd ones. He says drunkenness and orgies. See, orgies in the Greek is actually less about sexual immorality, and it's more tied to drunkenness because it's less, uh, it's more of an attitude of, hey, I'm going to give myself over to this desire to try and satisfy me. It's where we have a desire that ends up enslaving us, and we yield ourselves to it to such a degree that it ends up mastering us. So it's not that we simply eat or drink. It's that we become gluttons and drunkards. It's not that we have conversations. It's that we ultimately become gossips. And then it just leads to this vicious cycle of addiction where we can't get enough food or money or sex or power or pleasure or fame or whatever. And so Paul ends by saying, and things like these. Like, hey, just in case I missed any, again, this isn't an exhaustive list, but when you plant the root of your heart in the soil of the flesh, it's going to produce things like these. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It'll lead to dissatisfaction, destruction, and ultimately damnation. And it's easy to read these and be like, ah, well, none of these really define me. But remember, these are works of the flesh, meaning this isn't a list of how bad people live. No, this is a list of here's how sin makes all of us live to some degree. We've all tried planting the root of our hearts in the soil of the flesh and learns that it only leads to dissatisfaction. So what we need is another power that can come within us and battle the flesh. At this point, you're like, this is the most discouraging sermon I've ever heard. Can we please bring back Pastor JD? Because he's so light and fluffy, right? <laughs> like, you need a power that comes from within, a power that comes in. That's the spirit that can conquer the flesh. Remember, you can't do it in and of yourself. But when the spirit enters your life, he can. There's nothing you can do to attain it, but it's already been done for you. So when the Spirit enters into your life, He can conquer the flesh. And when you receive that and choose to take your root out of the flesh and plant your root in the soil of the gospel, in the soil of what's already been done for you, then the Spirit will inevitably produce freedom and fruit in your life. Because the Spirit always produces freedom and fruit. And that's what we see back in verse 18. Paul says, hey, if you're led by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law. That's what he means by that. Under the law, you're free. You're not constrained by this. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, there's freedom. Because the Spirit's all about an internal heart change that ends up making you, making you desire the things of the Lord. The law is all about this external behavior modification that tries to earn God's approval by works. Hear me, you can put me on record saying this. You are, you are saved by works. But let me be even clearer about this. You are not saved by your own works. You are saved by Jesus' works. It is not things you do to get God's acceptance and love for you. It's what Jesus has already done for you. That's why we say around here, it's Jesus in my place. 
Jesus has taken my place. He's done for me what I can never do for myself. So it's no longer, it is not I, it is Christ. I can't do it, but he can. He's already done that, and he offers it to me. (laughs) That's the good news of the gospel. And so now Paul is going to help us understand the difference between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So look at verse 22 again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. You're no longer under the law, and against such things, there is no law. Because Paul knows that the more you are enthralled with the gospel, the more you understand the beauty of Jesus, the more you'll want to do these things. He knows that the more you focus and remember your freedom in Christ, the more the Spirit begins to produce fruit in your life. Think about it like this. Um, I showed you that picture of my two girls earlier. So when my wife and I, a few years back, when we embarked on the um, really fun journey to get pregnant, uh, we didn't go into that and start thinking like, okay, we need to really nail down how God has set up the, the, the biology of reproduction. You understand what I, say, what I mean by that? Like, we need to really just think about this and make sure we got all the mechanics down, and we need to think about what kind of baby we want to make. And so when we're, I'm trying to be like as filtered and PG as possible here, and it's really hard. So let's ensure we've got all this and make sure we know how it works. Like, no, 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 that's not how it worked. It was just, hey, let's try to make a baby. I love you. You love me. I get so wrapped up in your beauty. I'm so enraptured by that, that the fruit of what happened fill in the blank, is a baby. That's what happened. In the same way, when you find yourself so wrapped up in God's love for you in the gospel, the Spirit begins to naturally produce this fruit in and through you. See, in the Christian life, it's so easy to get focused on the logistics of attempting to produce fruit that you forgive about the love of the one who actually produces it in you. And so when you get to here in Galatians 5, in your quiet time or whatever, we have a tendency to read these lists and think about all the ways that you don't measure up about what you aren't and about what you can't do. But you have another option. You can choose to plant the root of your faith in the soil of the gospel and believe what the Bible says about whose you are, what he can do, and what he wants to produce in you because of what Jesus has already done for us. And so when the devil or when flesh or when naysayers or when whoever tries to get you to operate in the flesh, you say, no, 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 that's not me anymore. No, sir, it's not I but Christ because Christ has already done everything necessary on my behalf. Therefore, now I can proclaim that because of what he's done, I am redeemed. Because of what he's done, I have been born again. Because of what he's done, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. I am a saint. I am one of God's elect. I am a chosen people in Christ. I am a member of the body of Christ because of what he's done. I am an ambassador for Christ. I am his worksman created in Christ Jesus for good works. I've been declared righteous. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but now I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm a servant of the one true God, but I'm not just a servant. I'm also a friend of God. I'm not just a friend of God. I'm also a child of God. I was once dead. Now I am alive because of what he's done. And today I am declaring that freedom in Christ. (laughs) Tap your neighbor, say that white boy is preaching up there. Today, you can declare that the reason you can bear fruit in your walk is because Jesus bore the cross in his, and now his spirit lives inside of you, and you can plant the roots of your faith. You can plant your heart in the soil of the gospel of what's already been done for you, and you can declare, hey, I may not be able to do it. I can't, but he can. It is not I, but Christ in the first place. And so when you look at this list of the fruit of the spirit, you should see that Paul isn't just listing a whole bunch of virtues of the Christian life. He's describing a person, and that person is not you, that person is not me, that person is not super Christian on steroids. He's describing one person, and it's the guy who saved you. And so you may say, hey, I may not look perfect all the time, but that's why I look to Jesus who is perfect. 
who's already done everything necessary to save me, who sent the Holy Spirit to produce these things in me. It is not I, but Christ. And when you understand that, when you accept that, when you believe that, it changes the way you read this list of the fruit of the Spirit. And so look, let's look at it a third time. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. The greatest act of love in the history of mankind was Jesus sacrificing himself for us. When you believe that, you become loving toward others. That's what we say about the gospel. You believe it, and then you become the gospel. The next one's joy. In spite of his suffering and circumstances, Jesus counted it all joy to go to the cross for us. When you understand that, when you believe that, you, joy just overflows in your life. Peace. Jesus is the prince of peace and the giver of peace. When you understand that, when you believe that about him, all of a sudden you have an internal peace that surpasses all understanding in your life. Patience. I'm not sure about you, but the only evidence of Jesus' patience I need in my life is the fact that he saved me. (laughs) And if he has been that patient with me, how can I not be that patient with others? Kindness. Jesus not only healed and loved on people, but he went out of his way to care for the outcasts of society. When you understand how kind he has been to you, you can't help but be kind to others. And this one kind of throws me, because I'm like, I don't care whether you're a Christian or not. Just be kind. Like, don't be a jerk. (laughs) Goodness. Jesus is the good shepherd. When you understand his goodness towards you, it leads you to be good toward others. Faithfulness. Jesus came to earth with a plan, and despite hardship, he fulfilled that plan. When I understand, when I believe Jesus' faithfulness toward me, it leads me to be faithful toward others. Gentleness. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And he goes on to say, for I am gentle and humble in heart. When you understand how gentle Christ has been with you, when you believe that, you inevitably produce the fruit of gentleness, and you are gentle with others. And then he ends with self-control. And he says, hey, at any point in his suffering, Jesus could have called upon legions of angels to flip the script on his entire situation. But instead, he remains steadfast because of his self-control. And so Jesus tells us, hey, the only way to self-control is actually by letting go of yourself and allowing the Holy Spirit to take control in your life. Are you being controlled by the flesh or are you being controlled by the Spirit? Let me tell you, it's impossible to be full of the Spirit when you're full of yourself. Where the spirit reigns, the law and the flesh no longer have control because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty in Christ Jesus because of what has already been done for you. It is not I, but Christ. That's why verse 24 goes on to say, he ends by saying, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. They're dead. So if we live by the spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Earlier on, he said, when you gratify the desires of the flesh, it leads to that giant works of the flesh list. But here we have another option with the flesh. You can either gratify it or you can crucify it. You can put it to death. And the way you do that, he prescribes in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Your version might say, keep in step with the Spirit. Let us follow the Spirit. Let us be guided by the Spirit. And so the obvious question is, well, how how do we walk by the Spirit? How do we walk by the Spirit if that's how I produce these things? Well, that's the problem, isn't it? 
There's no perfect plan for me to give you, to prescribe to you. Here's five steps to walking according to the Spirit. Because if I give you those steps, you'll end up just trying to check off those steps, which is the very thing I've been talking against. To be guided by the Spirit, you have to be guided by the Spirit. But the good news is, is that the Holy Spirit is so much better of a teacher than me or anybody else that will ever stand on this stage will ever be in your life. And so instead of giving you a list of you know, ways you can try to keep in step with the Spirit or anything like that, I think an illustration might help a little more. At least I hope it does. Um, so something happens every single week here at our services that you see but that you have no idea is happening. And so every single week after the sermon, we plan out our entire services, what songs we're going to sing, whether we're going to do baptism or communion or whatever. We plan all of that out. So right after the sermon, we, we usually tend to go right into a song because we want you to just engage with the Holy Spirit. We want, him to let, we want to let him lead you to what you need to do. So for some of you, that's to stand and put your hands in the air and worship God and remember everything Christ has done for you. For some of you, that's to repent. Some of you, it brings tears to your eyes. Some of you just need to sit and pray. And we just try to give you that time. And so we plan a song right after. But inevitably, at least here at this campus, from the sermon to get to that song, we almost always end up changing how we get there. Because what happens is, I want to introduce you to somebody, somebody you've seen, you don't know. This is Brandon. Everybody say, hey, Brandon. Hey, Brandon. Yep, Brandon is the MD. Hey, yep, you can clap for Brandon. That's okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Popular guy. Brandon is our MD. He's our musical director. And so he knows that I'm probably going to land with some big gospel application telling you that Jesus has done everything necessary for you, to, for you to be saved and that you can receive him into your heart right now. And that's a great assumption. And so he's over here playing something probably like, what you playing? Jesus paid it all. So I'm willing to martyr myself for the sake of illustration. Don't knock my voice. So, so he's playing Jesus paid it all because that syncs up with what I'm telling you, that Jesus has done it all. He's paid everything necessary for you to be saved. And that's a great assumption. But instead, Brandon, as the MD, he hears me now talking about that I just want to leave you with the Holy Spirit, that I want you to walk by the Spirit, that I want the Spirit to lead you, and you keep in step with the Spirit. And so Brandon, as the musical director, he has this huge knowledge. He has this huge catalog of songs. And so he's hearing me talk about the Spirit, and that might prompt him for another song, a song called Here As In Heaven. The bridge says, Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. We need your presence. Again, there you go. Don't knock my voice. Your voice might be worse. So, so now he's playing that, and that's fine. As I'm talking about, I want the Spirit to come upon this place. I want the Spirit to lead you in how you need to engage with Christ. And that's fine if Brandon wants to play that. The problem comes in all these people up here think they're about to play Jesus Paid It All. So how do they know what song to play? Here's the secret I'm going to tell you. This is Hank. Everybody say, hey, Hank. Hey, Hank. Hank is wearing something called, oh, gosh, sorry. I always twist it the wrong way. So Hank's wearing something called an in-ear monitor, an in-ear monitor. I'll let you put that back in. That's gross. So what Hank and everybody else up here are wearing in their in-ear monitors, they're not hearing what you and I are hearing. What they're hearing is Brandon, the music director, what he's saying into his microphone. You might have never noticed that Brandon has a microphone because Brandon's microphone is not for singing. You might not want to hear Brandon sing. <laughs> so when Brandon speaks into his microphone, it doesn't go in the speakers. It goes into their ears, and that enables them. So Brandon is, in some ways, the proverbial Holy Spirit of the worship team. <laughs> so big shoes to fill. 
He's telling them where to go, what to do. And even though they have a plan how to accomplish something, they're being redirected, they're being guided. And in the same way, that's what it's like with the Holy Spirit. And so I wanna show you how this works. So again, it's not a problem with Brandon to play behind me, but when we wanna bring everybody else in and they have no idea what to do, he has to coach them through it. So it's gonna sound like this. Go ahead and put Brandon in the house. So I want all y'all to hear what happens. Let's go ahead and bring everybody in really softly at first. One, two. You hear him? He's telling them where to go. He's telling them what to play because they didn't know before. They thought they had a plan, but he changed the plan. He's the Holy Spirit. He changed the plan. So as he speaks into his microphone, it's going into their ears and they know where to go. He's telling them to build. He's changing their direction. They're keeping in step with him because they have their in-ear monitors in. It's coming from his mic. Stay there. Stay big, stay big, baby. Get ready to do a build and taper off the end. Right here, Steven. And build. Bring it down. One, two, three. Drop it. You hear how it works? But here's the kicker, they have to listen. They have to know what his voice sounds like to be able to follow him and be guided by him. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit is always whispering in your ears. He's always applying the gospel to your heart and your mind and your thoughts. But you need to listen. You need to know when to swell. You need to know what song to sing. You know when to calm it down. You need to know what song to sing over what areas of your life. And then as you follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit given to you, as you receive what Christ has done for you, you begin to follow the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and inevitably produce the fruit of the Spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit applying the gospel to your life right now? Where does he need to declare done over your life right now? Where are you trying to do, 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 do in your own power? Where do you need to declare it is not I, but it is Christ? Is it to your identity or to your lack of peace or your joylessness or to your attempts at legalism? Just listen to him. He's saying Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be saved. But if you haven't planted the roots of your faith in the soil of the gospel, you will not produce that kind of fruit. You don't have your in-ear monitors in to hear him. I don't ever want you to hear from me that the fruit of the Spirit is about achieving some Christian standard because it's not. You can't achieve it. You can't do it anyways. The fruit of the Spirit is about knowing someone and his name is Jesus and he has done everything necessary for you to be accepted and approved and loved and received by God our Father. And the people that love Jesus the most are the ones who experience freedom in life and experience fruitfulness in their Christian walk. Go in grace and peace.